Welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum, Matt Levine, and we're talking about all our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between, all strange beasts, welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with parts of the proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com, hit the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. As Camp Kaiju says, stay campy, everybody. And Matt, we have a special guest host with us tonight. We do indeed. Welcome to Sam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yay. (laughs) Sam is an old dear friend here in the Twin Cities and uh, one of the biggest Jaws fans I know. Oh, man, this is just I I wish it was a better movie, but I'm just glad you reached out because this is this is fun. Well, sometimes I think it's more fun if it's not a good movie. So, you know, we the classics are great. It's fun to talk about those. But like the real bad movies that you can dig into. I always love those episodes. So we have a good one, a good bad one on our hands for tonight. And thanks for hanging out, everybody. Please rate and review wherever you listen. You can also share this podcast with a friend. Word of mouth is always our greatest asset there. And Matt, you want to talk about the website and the Patreon a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So our website is campkaijumoviereviews.com. In addition to links to all of our podcast episodes, we have uh, in-depth reviews about a whole lot of movies, stuff that we talk about on the podcast, as well as stuff that we don't. And also look into our Patreon account. Thank you very much to our patrons, Kelly, Chris, and Frank. We appreciate you very much. Uh, If you become a patron of the podcast, uh, then you'll get special swag. You can tell us your favorite monster movie and we'll talk about it on the podcast. Um, So lots of special deals. Uh, So yeah, check it out. And because we have a special guest, we get to hand over the Gamera gong to you, Sam. What? (laughs) So for our patrons... Okay, what? Wait, you gotta go back here. So wait, a, a swinging. A, what am I doing? This is a thing that started to commemorate our patrons. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. All right. Should I do that right now? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, this thing is heavy. All right. Here we go. Ah! That might be the best one yet. Well, done. <laughs> well I, I went to school for that. Uh, <laughs> swinging gongs, not acting. <laughs> gong school. I went to gong school. <laughs> well, thank you, Sam. And thank you, everybody uh, on Patreon and for checking that out and the benefits involved. Um, next week, we have more special guests to um, surprise with uh, the Gamera gong. Uh, we have the Frankenstein Minute podcast joining us to talk about Toho's Frankenstein Conquers the World, the uh, well worth the wait, as well as my brother. He is in the Coast Guard, and he is in Antarctica right now, of all places. And he and a shipmate of his have offered to record some special episodes for us based on Antarctic monster movies. So coming up first in our series, I've dubbed Frozen with Fear, is Alien vs. Predator, brought to you by 
two Coast Guardsmen <laughs> uh, down in Antarctica. Nice. Wow. I just watched that movie for the first time a couple months ago. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. It's a ride. I think. Yeah, I think it's a fun movie. Uh, for March, we have Mothra March Madness. Mothra is also one of my favorite characters that I've seen yet in, uh, you know, in the uh, Toho Godzilla series. So, you know, the original classic Mothra is on the docket. Um, and then I think, Vincent, you're bringing another Mothra movie to the podcast, right? Mothra versus Godzilla. Can't wait. Yeah. So all Mothra, all March. What I what I said in jest has now become reality, <laughs> as, as sometimes happens. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. What's our personal histories with Jaws the Revenge? Well, I don't have a history of Jaws uh, with Jaws the Revenge uh, until I bought it uh, at Video Universe in Robbinsdale (laughs) and realized, oh, they actually have this. How? Oh, uh, fortuitous that is because Vincent wanted me on the show. Um, I have a nice history with the whole Jaws as a franchise. Um beyond like I'll, I'll elevator pitch this like jaws just being like such a great movie as we all know if we've read carl gottlieb's uh book uh the jaws log or any of the other books or any videos or whatever just spielberg realizing well all this crap is happening and i'll just use suspense and never show the damn uh the damn i won't show bruce i just can't <laughs> we can't it's not working so what do we shoot around um, but yeah, as a kid, I saw Jaws 2 in the theater. I saw Jaws 3D in the theater. Uh, Jaws 2, you know, it's fine, competent. Uh, I like the fact that, you know, you know, it's not Jaws and it's a bunch of different kids. And Roy Scheider hated everybody involved and made it the biggest pain in the ass to actually <laughs> uh film. But uh, I saw Jaws 3D at well in Orlando, I- I'd never been to Disney World. My mother took me and some friends uh, and a friend of hers. We went to Disney World and then we went to uh, Epcot, which was sort of new at the time, and then SeaWorld. And at SeaWorld, uh, they still had this weird uh, facade opening that had this, speaking of uh, King Ghidorah, uh, these crazy sort of serpent heads spouting out of it. If you've ever seen Jaws 3D, it's a tiny you know, five second clip of people walking in to go into the underground. And there was a sign next to it saying, Hey, this is part of the new film jaws 3d featuring, you know, elements like this from SeaWorld. go see it in your theater today. And we did during that trip. And it was the most boring ass movie, (laughs) not just jaws movie, just boring. Like as a kid, you want all this stuff to happen and nothing more stuff happens in jaws too, which is kind of sad. But this is my history with the franchise, and I watched Jaws the Revenge specifically for this episode for the first time, and now I own it because <laughs> and because as as the tagline says, this time it's personal. <laughs> you sound a little disappointed that you now own this movie. You know, I I own worse movies. I know we all do. <laughs> this this is well, we'll get to it. Obviously, you guys have a way of you know boiling the episode down we'll get to the themes and stuff but i i gotta say uh i'm not gonna bury the lead it's i, I wanted this to be a lot worse i i thought this was gonna be you know total trash and so spoiler alert i really i don't mind having it in my little arsenal mm-hmm. but I, I also don't mind that i paid five bucks for it so it's fine right 
So when I grew up, yeah, Jaws always is, will always be my number one favorite movie of all time. I know it back to front. But the sequels I'd seen on and off throughout my life. But last year, I decided to marathon the whole series. And I agree, Jaws 2, it's a very solid movie. Its only flaw, I think, is that it's the sequel to Jaws. <laughs> Jaws 3, uh, it's interesting. I'm from Orlando, so I actually was disappointed by the SeaWorld things because I was like, that's not my SeaWorld. That's actually cooler than my SeaWorld. <laughs> There's like a whole under the ocean thing. I was like, that that's not actually SeaWorld. Um, and then Jaws the Revenge, I saw last year. I thought, oh, geez, where has this gone? But upon the most recent rewatch, I actually didn't. Uh, it didn't get better, but I found more. Th- I found less things to hate. Yeah, I this was my first time watching it as well. I had never seen Jaws the Revenge before. Um, sort of like you guys were talking about, you know, the original Jaws is maybe my favorite Spielberg movie. I just rewatched AI artificial intelligence, and that actually might be my favorite. But Jaws is very close to the top. Um, Jaws two, I like a lot. Yeah, it's really well, you know, decently made. Uh, the the main thing I remember from Jaws two is how incredibly tight and short Roy Shatter's shorts are in that movie. <laughs> that's a very hard sentence to say, by the way. Um, so I don't know what that says about the film, but that's like the main thing I remember about it. But it's a decent movie. It's pretty, you know, it's it's fine. It's suspenseful. It's well made. It has some like moments of style. So I enjoyed that. Um, Jaws 3D, I have not seen in a long time. And I feel like the only way I've ever seen it has been on TV. So I should probably watch that front to back at some point. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't call myself like a Jaws super fan, but I love the original. Uh, I've been meaning to watch Jaws the Revenge for a long time. Uh I still don't really know if I was disappointed or not, because Sam, sort of like you said, I thought it was going to be like a so bad it's good, just like trash masterpiece. But it actually has it's not all bad. So I don't know. You know, we'll we'll get into the details of that. But I it's it sort of defied my expectations a little bit. Let's uh, get into the synopsis a little bit. So Ellen Brody, the recent widow of Chief Martin Brody, is preparing for a Christmas celebration. Helping her is Sean, her youngest son. Like his father, Sean works as a police deputy. His holiday plans are delayed, however, when Polly dispatches him to clear a log from a buoy. While out in the water, struggling with the log, a great white shark appears and bites off one of his arms. Sean screams for help, but carolers on shore drown him out. Eventually, he is pulled overboard and killed, with his boat sinking behind him. Meanwhile, Ellen's older son, Michael... His wife, Carla, and their five-year-old daughter, Thea, come to Amity for the funeral. Michael is working in the Bahamas as a marine biologist, much to Ellen's dismay. Michael refuses to quit, partly because he and his partner, Jake, have just received a large grant to research conch shells and or snails. Uh, Needing to get away from Amity, Ellen decides to return to the Bahamas with Michael. The pilot of their small plane, Hoagie, takes an interest in Ellen when he flies them back. Wanting to take her mind off her recent losses and finding herself attracted to Hoagie, Ellen begins spending time with him. I'm going to read this like an audiobook. Later, while on the water, Michael and Jake encounter the shark, which has followed the family from Amity. Jake is eager to research it because great white sharks have never been seen in the Bahamas due to the warm water. Michael asks him not to mention the shark to his family. During the day, Ellen can keep her mind off the shark but at night 
She has nightmares of being attacked by it. She is also able to feel when the shark is about to attack one of her loved ones. Soon, Michael is attacked by the shark while diving. He manages to evade the shark within the halls of a shipwreck. Then Thea is targeted by the shark while she enjoys a ride on an inflatable banana boat. Ellen decides enough is enough. She goes rogue and sets sail on Jake's boat to track down the shark, intending to kill it to save her family. Michael and Jake are flown then by Hoagie to look for Ellen on the water. They look down below and they see the shark pursuing Ellen in the boat. During this time, Hoagie explains to Michael about Ellen's belief that the shark that killed Sean is hunting her family. When they find her, Hoagie lands the plane on the water, ordering Michael and Jake to swim to the boat as the shark drags the plane and Hoagie underwater. Hoagie escapes from the shark, and Jake and Michael hastily put together a device that emits electrical impulses. As Jake moves to the front of the boat, the shark lunges up and pulls him under, just as he is able to get the device into the shark's mouth. Michael begins blasting the shark with the impulses, which drive it mad. It repeatedly jumps out of the water, roaring in pain. Michael continues blasting the shark with the impulses, causing it to leap out of the water again. Ellen steers the sailboat towards the shark, while thinking back to the shark's attack on Thea, and also imagining Sean's death, and Martin defeating the first shark. As the shark is rearing up, she rams the bowsprit of the boat into it, causing it to explode. After the shark dies, Jake is found alive. He, Michael, Ellen, and Hoagie are now safe and relieved. Finn. Nice. That was good. What? <laughs> oh, God. I feel like this movie like has a relatively okay pace, and then I feel like the ending happens very suddenly. A lot happens after the banana boat, and then it's over. Did you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just felt, you know, if you think back just to the, the first two movies, there's this, there's something, it's both, it's Martin Brody, both things. Something's, there's, there's a goose bumpiness of it, like the suspense of he can't quite hit it, he can't, in the second one you don't know what he's gonna do and they they sort of foreshadow it so well this yeah it felt like they were waiting they're waiting and then suddenly i'm supposed to i'm supposed to go oh every time he hit the impulse you know the like electronic crap in his mouth he jumps up and he's gonna, gonna jump up so high that it's gonna hit the boat and then explode oh no no and it was very fast agreed Especially because there are like flashbacks to the first Jaws in that like at that moment, you know, in the climax. And like, I think that's not a great idea for a lot of different reasons. Like it sort of just makes you realize like, oh, the first Jaws is so much better than this movie. But also it just like interrupts the pacing so much. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? Why did the boat just explode? Like, it makes no sense. And like, I feel like the kind of like inclusion of scenes from Jaws makes it more confusing. I, I appreciate what obviously all of us appreciate what they were trying to do. Um, but putting flashbacks and sepia tones over a certain flashback and flashing back to scenes that that she was not part of <laughs> that literally I mean she, she's Ellen was not part of the part where he goes smile you son of a bitch and she wasn't there she doesn't know that's what happened so how is she having a flashback of a scene that she wasn't at yeah ah. right. and this isn't the only movie I've seen that in. 
Right. And it always is like, hmm, that's just kind of a lazy choice. It's also a confusing choice because like you say, she wasn't there. I feel like it would actually make more sense in the context of this movie, even though it's a ridiculous concept for like those flashbacks to be from like the shark's point of view. Because like if the whole story of the movie is that like he is presumably it's a he I think it is they call him he if he's like trying to get revenge on the Brody family, presumably like he would have access to those flashbacks, whether like he experienced them or they were like passed down from his like predecessors or like his ancestors or whatever, you know. Uh, I'm just saying, like, in the context of the plot of this movie, it makes more sense for the shark to have those flashbacks than for Ellen to have those flashbacks. I, and I buy that. I would I would actually go with that. I'm still trying to figure out what this is. Which which shark, which which Jaws is this? The original Jaws got blowed up. The other, the second Jaws, Jaws 2 got electrocuted. So is this the, is this a baby of the original Jaws through symbiosis or some sort of when it was born, it had these memories. It was cloned. All these stupid <laughs> things that nobody should be thinking. But but they but they never even they just. Yeah. Ellen continually says refers to it as the shark. Yeah. And I'm like, Ellen, you were there. You know, this was blown up. <laughs> yeah. It didn't fully embrace its totally like just insane concept, you know? If it had gone a little bit further, maybe I would have bought it a little bit, a little bit more, you know? Well, yeah. I think if they leaned into that and also something we just brought up in the synopsis, uh, which was somehow Ellen Brody has this weird like Stephen King character type of I am one with the shark and I know it's out there and I know it's going to hit, it's going to eat that you know, banana boat, that woman in the banana boat. Like it just, she's like preternaturally has these crazy mutant powers. That would have been cool. Lean into that. I know it would have made no sense. And people have been like, why does she have powers? But that would have actually explained so much. Cause yes, the novelization of this movie, I want to read so bad because it actually is as bonkers as we want it to be. There's a voodoo witch doctor who has cursed bewitched the shark to take revenge on the Brody family. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why the witch doctor has beef with the Brodies, but that, that does explain the psychic connection. From what I read about the plot of the novelization, I have not read the novelization, but it sounds like Michael just like bumps into that voodoo priestess or whatever. And that's like all that happens. And like, she's so, like infuriated by that that that's like her motivation to like curse the shark so yeah you're right like the plot makes zero sense and sounds totally absurd and i really really want to read it and we could talk about lorraine gary she's reprising her role from the first two jaws movies the intention at least was to make a more complex fully formed character i do and actually i do appreciate the fact that this is her movie i think there's value in an older actress getting a lead in a big blockbuster yeah, absolutely. I, I like the fact that she is, it, it's a female lead, which you hadn't had really. You guys were talking about uh, like all the sex scenes, not, maybe not on screen in this movie, but like implied at least between Michael and his wife, Carla. Um, I, you know, if there was like a at least implied sex between Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine, I would have been there for it. I would have been like, all right, movie, go for it. Like you're, you know, you're like, you're going all the way with this relationship. I kind of would have appreciated that. I liked how sort of old fashioned they were in terms of like, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I just met you, you know, maybe we shouldn't blah, blah, but they go out on a couple of dates. So you're like, you know, 
anything could happen. You're in the Bahamas and it, you know, you're kind of hot for each other and you got to know each other and took your time. I could totally see that. I could see, I mean, <laughs> this movie had nothing to lose. I mean, what, what would they have to lose? I wonder again, this is like one of those things they'll never do like a criterion of jaws, uh, the revenge. But if they did, I would assume I would I would love to see the cutting room floor bits. Or was this all of it? I mean, or is there like a cannonball run style blooper reel where like <laughs> I don't know, Michael Caine is slapping people around and like like Burt Reynolds and uh <laughs> Okay, no, stop. No, but I think uh yeah, I mean I'd like to I that would have been nice to see. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, playing so yeah, Michael Caine is playing her love interest. Um, this is sort of an infamous little anecdote. You know, he's quoted as saying, and I did look this up in an interview. You know, he admits he's never seen this movie, but he has seen the house that it bought for his mom. So he actually bought the house for his mother. Uh, which I'm like, oh, Michael Caine, you're a class act. That's nice. <laughs> I didn't know well, it was for his mom. That's that's cool. I like that. Yeah, that's nice. I didn't know it was his mom. I didn't I actually didn't know. All I know, all I've seen is the uh, Oscar acceptance speech he makes from wherever in the Bahamas because he won for Hannah and her sisters. Yes, uh, that year, and he's brilliant in it. And if you can separate Woody Allen from any of his movies, Hannah and her sisters, it's like the maybe one of the best movies he ever made michael kane's brilliant in it deserves the oscar but he it was live via satellite or something or previously videotaped in the bahamas saying yeah i'm i'm here uh thanks for the award i'm trying to uh film this new jaws movie it's called jaws of revenge should be coming out this summer thank you uh for the uh oscar it's the worst michael kane impression ever it started australian <laughs> it started australian it really did um but yeah that's the, that's what i most know about this is like i re remember seeing footage of that somewhere mm. of him accepting it via satellite because he's dude's gotta pay the bills and build houses so yeah and that's what i do really like about michael kane he's made so many movies and seemingly he doesn't he doesn't look down on a project Maybe he does, but he's still willing to do Jaws the Revenge in the same year that he's doing Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, the man is just, he's hes a journeyman. And he seems like the actor, too, where, like, he, you know, he, he could sleepwalk through a role. He could just, not, like, not try at all, give, like, 0% effort, and he still would be charismatic. Like, I, I feel like that happens in Jaws the Revenge. Like, I don't think he's invested all that much in the movie, but still, it's a pretty entertaining character, so... um. Opposite him is Lance Guest as Michael Brody. Just what's interesting about this character, I just want to say about the character, <laughs> is Michael also was featured in Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D is like a weird thing in the continuity that Jaws the Revenge clearly doesn't acknowledge, but it is the same, ostensibly the same character. And yeah, he's an engineer or something. But yeah, I mean, I, I only know Lance Guest from Last Starfighter um that's what i know him best from um i did not know he was in halloween too uh that's interesting i didn't I just saw that in the notes i actually kind of like halloween too it's uh it's a pretty yeah. good sequel maybe not unlike jaws 2 you know totally. not as good as the original but decent 
I'm stoned. Yeah, that, that's all I have to that's, say about that. <laughs> I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I was like, then Halloween three is like Jaws 3D, and then Halloween oh. four is like Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> oh, so many. Oh, this is it's breaking my brain. This is like a little too close. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll move fast through this. Uh, Karen Young plays Michael's wife, Carla. Mario Van Peebles is Jack, uh, and apparently. Mario Van Peebles wrote a lot of his own dialogue and his father, Mario Van Peebles, he plays, I guess, the mayor of the town as a yeah. fun little cameo. Yeah, he's making that speech right before the banana boat scene. Yeah, <laughs> Melvin Van Peebles. And like he he made some really uh, audacious, bold black exploitation movies in the 70s, like Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. I think he made the watermelon man before that as well. He was like a very kind of radical, transgressive, like in your face director. And, you know, like 15 years later, he's in Jaws the Revenge. I don't know if that's a, <laughs> uh, you know, a sad ending or a happy ending to his career, but it's, uh, it's unexpected. So, <laughs> but that's, I think that's the intersection with so many of these actors, Michael Caine and the director, Joseph Sargent. He directed Taking of Pelham 123. And then 15 years later, he's doing just the revenge. Well, it's weird because, man, taking a Pelham one, two, three is such a good movie. It's so it's a great setting. It's a great premise. It's shot so damn well, which I think is a credit to him, because, again, we were talking about this before we kind of started or um, was the idea that, yeah, this is this is shot competently. It's directed competently. It's not the worst piece of crap I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah, there were people who knew what they were doing and he was one of them. Some returning actors, some brief cameos in the beginning. We had a uh, Mrs. Kittner. Did you all catch her? I did. Oh yeah. It's real brief. And she's not lit very well either. It's in the interior of that house. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, Mrs. Kittner's still friends with she's wait. She's, fr she's friends with the Brodies. I'm not buying that. <laughs> I don't think I am either. Like it, of, of all the people on, you know, in Amity, she's probably not the person that you that should be like, you know what? Bygones be bygones. Let's have some coffee. Let's hang out. <laughs> no, you're responsible for my boy being eaten. And you knew you didn't close the beaches. You knew all those things. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, time heals all wounds. She learned <laughs> to forgive and forget, you know? Uh, you can well, have but... more kids. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Mrs. Taft. Yeah, I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. I'm sorry. Are you going to close the beaches? Supposedly, she uh, is a hotel owner, I guess. She also um, totally breaks uh, Martin's balls on the beach, I think, at one point and goes, uh, she says something like... Uh, no, no, it's 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 Ellen. It's like, no, Ellen, you're not a you're not a local. You'll never be a local. You're not an islander or whatever. She's awesome. She's tan and ready and she's got that crazy pantsuit and love her. <laughs> that's one of those movie lines I say in my day to day life all the time. <laughs> when totally. I'm like, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. But <laughs> <laughs> and probably nobody gets that reference. I would have no. like five percent of people. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> the people here. And my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, the special effects for this movie were by Henry Miller, and he won the Worst Visual Effects Award at the 1987 Razzies. Deserved, I would say. Yeah. 
I mean, okay, I don't know. We know so much about the original, you know, Bruce, the original Jaws shark, right? We know how we've read or heard so many things about how they had two sharks, depending on which how they were shooting it as an angle, blah, blah. I, what I think is interesting about this particular shark, I assume that he was responsible, this being part of the visual effects, is the fact that um, it, it doesn't it doesn't look bad it just isn't shot well it's not presented well and it just kind of pops into into frames and not even surprisingly it's just like oh it's next to mario van peebles oh oh hi there's a shark here what the hell you didn't even you didn't do a jump scare nothing and i think it's the visual effects just are lesser because of that because it's not presented well and it's like it's the idea of like uh you know we're going to shoot a comedy scene in a wide you know you can't do that's not how comedy works you don't do it in a wide shot you don't just go okay be funny now go you know it's done in like with reactions and you know a twofer like you know reverses this it felt like i i'm not going to say henry miller wasn't it was uh, doing a great job i'll say that i think what he was what they were showing of his work was maybe too i don't know it wasn't shot properly i think that's a great distinction and see i feel like this film is so quick it's so quick to crap on it but that's why i love having these discussions because it's like you're right how how much better can a mechanical shark look that's probably as good as it gets but the difference comes in the editing or the shot composition or yeah, I would agree. I think the the visual effects are kind of hit or miss for me. Like, I actually think the scene where the woman is killed on the banana boat when, like, the shark just barely misses the daughter, Thea, is pretty good. It's pretty suspenseful. And I think, like, the late scene where Michael is, like, being chased by the shark through the hull of the shipwreck is ridiculous, first of all. But also, like, there are some pretty effective shots in there. So... You know, I think that's not bad. But then, you know, like you mentioned, there are some other moments where, like, the shark suddenly just appears, like, next to, um, like, the sub submersible or whatever that Michael is in. And it's like, yeah. you, this is not suspenseful at all. You really could have built up this tension a lot more. So it's, yeah, it's it's really hit or miss for me. Yeah, the, the submersible is my favorite, favorite part. It's like, oh, oh, oh there's a shark there. Whoops. <laughs> it, it's not even like, ah, they don't even try to do it so that it comes out of nowhere like you'll get these jump scares and in here there's almost no musical cues or anything when he appears he's just there like he's a bro just hanging out (laughs) going hey we're gonna go let's go surf sailing today man you guys you wanna go you looking at conks i know where i can show you some conks (laughs) oh man we should go over here i I hang out with these guys these guys all the time these snails oh you're gonna love these guys (laughs) crazy conks bro Uh, all right, banditsemporium.com is the official t shirt partner of Camp Kaiju. Check out banditsemporium.com or hit the link in our bio to check out their selection of monster inspired tees. Part of the proceeds goes to supporting this very show. Visit banditsemporium.com, whatever your style, they have you covered. As they say, we sell shirts, and as Camp Kaiju says, conks all day, bro. <laughs> that is the Jaws the Revenge t-shirt that you need to get. Conks all day, bro. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so with the production of backstory and release, I think this gets to the core of the per- any perceived flaws in the film, I think comes down to a really rushed shooting 
schedule that they were on. I read that the other Jaws movies had a production schedule or timeline of like at least two years each. And this one was maybe like nine months. So, yeah, like significantly less than the other ones. Well, yeah. And I I think that's just so principal photography literally began in September of 86 and it was a release in 87. How much time do they have to cobble a script together? That's my question, I guess. Uh, seemingly none yeah i mean they actually started shooting before a script was even finished so i i think they were kind of making it up as they went along you know well i mean i you know to be fair that's also kind of how jaws was happening they had a script but it wasn't great and they were always punching it up carl gottlieb was punching up stuff and well i was gonna say like no disrespect to joseph Sargent, but i feel like somebody like spielberg you know i know spielberg was extremely young when he made jaws but like you know, Spielberg maybe got away with that. Joseph Sargent, maybe not so much on the making of Jaws the Revenge. So he was offered the job um, by an executive at Universal Studios. And they were hoping to, Universal Studios had an ulterior motive. And they wanted to pre- publicize their new attraction ride at Universal Studios. Um, which I find interesting. This must have been the Hollywood Universal Studios. Because again, as an Orlando native, uh, I grew up at Universal Studios. And the ride, yeah, it was just it just put you right in the middle of it. It was actually like a lot of Jaws too, where at the end of you have like you're on this boat, this tour boat. They're taking you through Amity, and the boat, the your boat captain has like a shotgun next to him, and he gets a radio call from Amity PD saying that the shark is back, and now your your boat captain pulls up this gun. <laughs> and starts blasting away at the water as the shark is coming at you. And there's, you know, splashing and there's fire, of course. And then uh, at the end, it ends with the shark um, biting down on some power cables like in Jaws 2. And it fries itself. I was there the last day of the ride because it has since closed in Orlando. Uh, Maybe not the best special effects in the world, as the Golden Raspberry Awards would tell us. But... Uh, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting. There were seven sharks or segments of sharks that were created for the filming of the movie. Uh, there were two full models of the sharks. Uh, there was one model that was only used for the jumping shark, which uh, even just <laughs> saying that feels kind of ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> if you see the movie, you know what that means. Um, one model was made for ramming. Uh, one was just the top half of the shark. And then one was just the fin. So uh that I, I feel like that's kind of interesting just because they seemingly went to a lot of work until like, I create these animatronics and there's n- arguably not all that much payoff in the movie. Again, there are maybe some good and bad elements, but um, but yeah, I, it, it was a big time and labor and resource investment to make those sharks. Right. So, yeah, all the credit to the production team. Maybe it just failed to come together in other ways. Yeah. Right. I just think that I, you guys said it earlier. I, there needed to be more of a buildup at the end. It, it felt like a lot of standing around waiting for the shark. I mean, I know that's most of jaws, but it's literally <laughs> like them sailing. No, no, go. No, there he is. Ah. And there's, it, it feels like it's rushed at the end. There's a lot of buildup and then a quick where we killed it. It's done. You know, yeah. Um, so I think it was it definitely a pacing issue. I, I it's amazing that they had that many sharks constructed. Right. That's wow. On like such a tight timeline too, with like no time to you know like maybe a couple months to create these models. Like it's you know both impressive and at the same time you understand why maybe it doesn't work all that well in the finished product. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I gotta say, I, I really, this time it's personal is, has become this thing in the same way that like people throw electric boogaloo on the end of something. If you say <laughs> Jaws 2 and somebody goes electric boogaloo, it's like, it's like, a, it's like its own built in sort of uh, a punchline, but this time it's personal had its own, it, it jumped into pop culture to the point where I think people weren't even sure that was where it was from. Yeah. And I didn't know that that originated with this film. And it makes sense if that's what he was going for. Mm-hmm. He failed. But <laughs> I think that's it's really cool that it's like, no, let's make it a personal thing. Yeah, I think that that is the thematic crux of the film, that this is Ellen's story and her overcoming this sort of grief and trauma. And as I saw it, extreme PTSD, like she mm-hmm. is... She's reeling through most of this film. Um, And I found that a dark but bold and compelling idea. I I feel like the movie doesn't quite have the skill to like really convey those themes, but I admire that it's trying to do so, you know? It it feels like um, I've gone through, we all have uh, gone through grief, like a lot of stages of grief. Nobody deals with grief the same way. Um, And I feel like, having gone through a lot of, uh, you know, sort of a grieving thing this for the past year. Um, I almost feel like this has, this, this says a lot about grief, regardless of how the execution was the Ellen Brody character is going through grief. Um, she already had her, her husband die of supposedly an off screen heart attack that we never heard about or never knew about. And then of course, her son um, is her youngest son uh, is is killed by this shark. She feels like the only way she can deal with it and it is to push blame on a shark. Right? It's very easy to do that when a shark has eaten your son and essentially been the cause of your husband's heart attack. So I think there's something great thematically uh, about dealing with grief, dealing with what is basically a depressing life event something that can really bring people down and take them into places that depending on where they are in their lives her being sort of an older woman where it's like what am i even doing like nothing makes sense i have to blame something and yet i can't do anything i'm powerless and there's something great about whether it was executed well or not and I think it really wasn't because it just turns, it makes her into sort of the, the shrieking uh, character that you're like, God, this woman's crazy. And it's the dialogue. It's how she was directed. Like, I'm not blaming the actor for that. I'm not um, not blaming uh, Lorraine Gary at all. But I will say, like, all that said, it's it's about a grieving process. Now, that is the, the theme. From a meta-contextual perspective as i started watching jaws the revenge it felt like this fell into one of those sort of uh this was created due to a depressing life event um two examples came to mind neil simon wrote a play called fools this play was written as the result of an arrangement he made with his wife during their divorce proceedings he attempted to write something that would never last on broadway Fools ran 40 
performances and died. But all of her, all the profits went to his ex-wife. Mm. Marvin Gaye put on an album called Here, My Dear. It's a double album where all the album royalties would go to his future ex-wife, Anna. He's quoted as saying, why should I break my neck with Anna? Uh, why should I break my neck when Anna was going to wind up with the money anyway? So basically, he wrote this double album about loss and grief and love gone bad, and the album sounds like that. I sincerely believe that Lorraine Gary owed money to the mob because why the hell else would this movie get made? <laughs> I'm like, it feels like one of those. It's like, uh, oh, God, uh, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie. They needed to hold on to the rights to Fantastic Four. So they made this movie and never released it. They never even told the actors they weren't going to release it. They just assumed it was there was going to be a screening. It's like, nope, we're not going to screen shit because we just made a movie to keep the rights to the name. Um, but as I watched the movie, that sort of, that drifted away in terms of being a funny way of looking at it and, you know, basically making sure that I mentioned Marvin Gaye and Neil Simon, uh, <laughs> and Jaws the Revenge in the same sentence, but it, it starts as grief, but a meta narrative is like, this was created, created from some depressing life, life event where it feels like why why was this movie made like the studio had an idea the director had the idea but <sighs> poor lorraine gary i just i feel sorry for her most of all but even Sargent said joseph Sargent, like when he was approached with the project he said that like the goal was to make a quality picture about human beings i think that is a verbatim quote or at least very close um, so, you know, I mean, I think like that was the intention for sure, uh, to deal with grief and family and the, and like aging and these kind of deeper uh, ideas. It's a very different Jaws movie than, you know, what we gotten before. So at least it wasn't some rehashing. Um, I'll, I'll say that as a positive. And when you watch these movies back to back for me, I did enjoy seeing the kids grow up and them deal with this trauma that the shark has created as they grow older in jaws two, now they're teenagers in jaws the revenge michael especially his interactions with his mother was relatable to me as a son i i felt a lot of guilt in him and he doesn't know how to deal with the guilt of going behind his mother's back easy as that right when i was a teenager you stay out too late and you lie a little bit to your mom and say you weren't doing things that you shouldn't have been doing Michael's doing the same thing and he doesn't know what to do with it. So he lashes out to his wife. He lashes out at Jake. Yeah. Even though I'm kind of ambivalent about using like the flashbacks from the original Jaws, like I mentioned before, I think one scene where it works kind of well is when Michael is at the dinner table with his daughter, Thea, and it flashes back to the moment from the original Jaws where Martin Brody and his son, which I think is actually Sam, not Michael in the original Jaws, but I could be wrong about that. But I, I think it's Sam who's kind of like mimicking his father and like making the same sort of like hand gestures and like facial expressions and stuff. And then like in Jaws the Revenge, we see Michael and Thea do that as well. Um, and that's a pretty good representation of this theme of like, you know, all the issues that Michael is dealing with, kind of like the demons of the past resurfacing and like him trying to like get through his grief a little bit i feel like that was maybe the only time in the movie where like repurposing or recycling that footage from the original jaws movie works pretty well 
Yeah. Ellen was there to yep. witness that in the first one. <laughs> yes. She was actually at this moment seeing it right before Hooper comes in. So they got a flashback. Correct. They actually <laughs> got one, but I think it's effective. I think at the time I was like, Oh, that's a nice little callback. Um, yeah. There, it doesn't. It didn't feel like they were. Um, it was cheap, or they were just doing it to get people who would recognize it. Because on its own, it just felt. It felt nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought so. Oh, can I bring up? Can I bring up one thing before we go to the yeah. good, the bad, and stuff? Yeah. Uh, just, just putting this out there. Jaws: The Revenge is a Christmas movie. Uh, yes. Just gonna say that. It's yes. A Christmas movie. It happens. I mean, not the entire time, but that first chunk in Amity, it's Christmas. And there's a so. New Year's Eve party in the Bahamas. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. A New Year's Eve party. Yeah. yeah. Total Christmas movie. And they're singing carols like in the Bahamas. So, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. It was a nice change of pace that it wasn't the whole like, oh, the beach is closed for the summer, like that whole thing. Like, I, I liked the change of the setting, at least initially, that it's obviously cold and, uh, you know, you see Christmas lights and stuff. That was a cool change of pace. I like that. Uh, well, uh, with that said, Matt, do you want to lead us in what you found really good about this film? Yeah, I, I think it is pretty well shot. I think a lot of that is the scenery. At least some of the movie was actually shot in the Bahamas. Some of it is very obviously shot in a studio back lot where you can like see like the fabric of like the clouds, you know, so not all of it is in the Bahamas, but uh, it's bright. It's colorful. It's pretty well shot. Um, I do admire that it's like trying to give depth to the characters. I think there are some reasons why that doesn't uh, really pan out like I don't think the movie is totally successful at that but yeah Sam like you said before it's trying to do its own thing it's a new Jaws movie that we haven't really seen yet in the series so I do admire that and I do think there are at least a couple scenes that are pretty effective and suspenseful I, I brought them up briefly before but uh, the scene where the woman is killed on the banana boat the shark kind of just like leaps out of the water and just takes like the one woman off of it and everybody else like barely escapes with their lives I think that moment is it's kind of surprising. It's pretty well done. And then I think at the end when Michael is like, again, being chased by the shark through the shipwreck there in particular, there's one really good shot. I think we're like, we're looking up from the shipwreck and we see the shark passing overhead through like a window or like a porthole or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was a great shot. And I, you yeah. know, there are moments like that where I'm like, wow, like at least this moment is well constructed and well done. Okay. I, I think it's, I hate to admit it, but it's, it is shot. Well, it's shot really well. Um, I was actually surprised. I wanted this to be a bigger piece of crap, and it it disappointed me in that way because could have been worse. Um, very Minnesotan thing to say. Um, <laughs> I will say, as a Jaws geek, we brought this up earlier. I like the fan service cameos of Mrs. Kittner, uh, Mrs. Taft, my personal favorite, and Polly. Yeah, one of my favorite dumbass yeah. throwaway lines in Jaws is, uh, "Let Polly do the printing." What's wrong with my printing? Let Polly do the printing. <laughs> I just love that line, and it's a different actor, clearly, because I think the original Polly's way dead at that point. <laughs> point, but Polly's got more screen time than she ever has before, and I just love Polly bopping in back and forth. I, I, I just. I don't know, something about that little fan service that only the people who were dorky um, would get. 
did my heart good. And this is coming from a person who wrote something called Sleigh Bells, a white Christmas prequel. I wrote a prequel to the <laughs> the movie uh, White Christmas. And like, I love prequel ideas or sequel things where you do some fan service of like, oh, ah, that reference. Like, I love crap like that. So yeah, that's the good for me, I think. I'm going through my notes, but I think that's pretty much it. I agree. Loved seeing Polly there. Um, oh, there's a really heartbreaking moment, actually. It's after Ellen comes to verify the body that it's Sean. Polly is at her desk in the background weeping. Oh, and I was like, what? Imagine how bad Polly sounds, must feel, because she's the one who insisted Sean go out there. Oh, God, that's great. I didn't notice that. It's real quick. Wow, that's a better. That's a that's the best idea of this entire movie. That's the best little tiny thing. Then the if you put that molecule of a beautiful moment up against this movie, it, it blows up the universe that this movie's in. This one tiny molecule, like Oppenheimer, it's like I split an atom and blew everything up. I swear to God, that's supposed that's so beautiful <laughs> that it doesn't deserve to be in this crap movie. It doesn't deserve it. It's too good for this movie. Oh, I got to go back and watch that. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Polly, no. <laughs> Why? And that's what I'm saying. Jaws oh. the Revenge has glimmers of a real human tragic story that if you're into drama, this is high stakes drama of the most personal kind. Jaws the Revenge had would have had no shark in it. And it was just... <laughs> <laughs> the shark is the friends we made along the way no i hate that i hate when people drop that in i hate that expression when people just throw that kind of crap in. but yeah the shark is a metaphor for love or it's a metaphor for starting over or it's a metaphor for our grief it's not a real shark she just keeps seeing sharks and there's no sharks how can you see sharks it's warm water blah blah i don't know he's here i know he's following us and then people die and then you find out you find out that ellen's been killing these people <laughs> chopping them up carving them out like with this with giant jaws that she found from a shark and eats them and then eats some of their flesh herself to be one with them this is the movie that needed to get made like a cannibalistic ellen brody killing people in the bahamas making them think it actually got done by us i'm making this movie but I, I let's just let's make this movie this is what the movie should have been all right what didn't we like about this movie total lack of suspense with those build-ups the shark just kind of shows up without any build-up uh the practical effects i did find the shark laughable whether or not that was the effects designer or the way it was shot. Either way, it was not convincing for me. Uh, the flashbacks were weird. Oh, why does the shark explode? Why does the shark roar like a lion at the end? Uh, Jake should have died, which he did die in an alternate cut, but he and Hoagie both should have died. And I hate it when characters who should die end up living. <laughs> I feel the same way, although like at first I thought that Jake did die and I was like, oh, of course the black guy dies. No surprise. Like we all should have seen that coming right away. And then he doesn't die. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is this a good or a bad thing? Like it's totally preposterous that he lives. I guess I'm kind of happy that he lives. But yeah, like it's just it makes no sense whatsoever. 
but at least it's not like the typical racist like oh the expendable black character you know there are some things in this movie that are pretty poorly done we already talked about the special effects i think the sound design is pretty bad there are several scenes where the sound effects and the music kind of drowns out the dialogue and it doesn't really like in the junkaroo like the the parade scene that seems sort of intentional but there are other scenes where it's clearly not intentional and it's just like bad sound basically um, I think there are also some moments where they try to do some like cross cutting. Uh, a good example is early on when Sam dies and it's cutting back and forth between the Christmas carolers. Uh, and at first you're like, oh, this is kind of interesting that it's cutting back and forth between these two. But then it just goes on and on and on. And you're like this, you know, like I like the concept, but it is very poorly executed, which maybe defines the movie as a whole. And the last thing I'll say for the bad category for me, I think it's. The movie's not good enough to really follow through on the themes of grief and like, you know, um, starting over again, uh, like these very personal human themes that the movie tries to get at, like the performances and the script and the direction, I don't think are good enough to really like make those themes land. It's not very emotional, but at the same time, it's not bad enough to be like totally ridiculous and really entertaining like, for example, Piranha 2 The Spawning, which we've talked about on this podcast before, an extremely entertaining movie. Uh, so I do think that lar like long stretches of Jaws the Revenge are pretty boring because it's like not good enough, but also not bad enough, if that makes sense. Um, mostly, I, th I felt like there were a few romantic dialogue moments that felt as cringy as Anakin's in episode two um, <laughs> about sand sand it's all coarse and it gets everywhere it, it, i don't give a shit like i don't i don't care like this I, this isn't this this isn't my star wars um this isn't my jaws give me back my jaws you ruined my childhood anyway no um i feel like there were cringy moments there were good moments and cringy moments that uh little parade scene that you, you mentioned matt i think um it had a bunch of weird clunky dialogue that was about Ellen, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to get over the death of your son. And she's like, I'm smiling and blah, blah, blah. I love this parade. It's like, they're having two different conversations. Why is this? Why is, why does Hoagie care? Why is he invested? It mm. felt really rushed and weird, but some of the romantic stuff was fine later, but uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the term shoot the rodeo, shoot the rodeo. It feels like the parade was just happening. They're like, just get in there. Uh, go. Um, it's it's something that the guys from uh, Red Lighter Media talk about all the time in Milwaukee, their, uh, their stuff. It's like, well, you need production value. Shoot the rodeo. Because one of their films was like a rodeo. And they're like, oh, we'll just we'll pad the film with like rodeo stuff and have one of our characters just go to the rodeo and just shoot. Like, just have them walking around the rodeo. Like it's production value. Yeah. The some of the Bahama stuff felt like that I would put that in the bad category. Um, Ellen's kitchen freak out was really goofy and strange, and she's throwing pots and pans around. It just felt felt like, dude, give your actor direction or something. It just feels like now you're making her out to be a psycho. Now she's just a weirdo. Um, and the dialogue didn't help either. Um, I felt like when she, is it Sean, the younger yeah. guy who the yeah, so the arm bit. When his arm gets bit bit off, he's screaming, caroling, screaming, caroling. Maybe it's the editing. It felt like something from Police Squad where O.J. Simpson is constantly getting, like, destroyed and blown up. And he keeps coming back like the Wile E. Coyote. It just felt like, is this supposed to be a comedy? Like, he's just, 
help onward christian soldier that's not what they're singing but um it's the because it's a christmas carol not onward christian soldiers but um uh, it just felt like this 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 is like no death in any jaws movie that just felt mm. bad to me um the title card felt like something out of canon films yeah. where it's coming out of the water and it's like jaws the revenge and they're playing the john williams stuff and you can see amity in the dark it just felt so bad um i'm referring to jaws 4 as the name of the shark um so that's what this means jaws 4 has all the screen presence of jaws 3 he has no screen presence or she jaw the the shark in this has no screen presence that's directional problems um, at one point, Mario Van Peoples goes dum dum to scare Michael. That means that the movie Jaws exists <laughs> in the Jaws: The Revenge universe in a meta thing that blows my head apart. It doesn't. So wait, they made a movie of your husband destroying a shark, and now people know dun 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 dun. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding. He does that in the movie, like on the headset when he's in the submersible he doesn't yeah. quite do like the john williams but it might as well be the same thing i'm like dump don't go dumb dumb because you're not doing law and order that <laughs> hasn't even been created yet anyway um i wrote down why don't i care about any of the deaths uh at the end of the movie i literally turned off the movie and just get just went and yet i feel nothing to an empty room that's i just that's what i said to myself no one was home um this should be called Jaws, and yet I feel nothing. <laughs> That's what it should be called. Okay. Um, Roy Scheider headshot depresses me. Oh, Polly's got a a <laughs> shot of, and it's clearly like him as Chief Brody, but it's it's a headshot of. It's a Roy publicity Scheider. shot. Yeah, it for is the movie. It's a promo <laughs> shot that you send out to all the newspapers or whatever. Um, new movie featuring Roy Scheider, starring a shark. Um, in Variety. Uh, I feel like um, there was a wasting of Lynn Whitfield, who was an actor who went on to be in Eve's Bayou. She was Mario Van Peebles' squeeze. Mm. She had like four lines. In terms of campy, I laughed out loud. It caught me so off guard. The brilliant Michael Cade <laughs> when he's on the water after landing his boat <laughs> and the shark comes out and he says, oh, shit. <laughs> One of the highlights in the movie, for sure. I was crying laughing. It was just oh. so outrageous. It was like, it just summed up all my feelings about the whole movie. Uh, for me, like a lot of it is Mario Van Peebles and his terrible accent in this movie. Uh, it's not a bad character. Like, as we talked about, I think his relationship with Michael is, you couldn't, you know, it's sort of interesting. But uh, yeah, that character, it, like just the dialogue is terrible. I feel like he says the phrase crap out in this movie more than I've ever heard in my life outside of this movie. And, uh, you know, one more example I'll bring up is when Michael says uh, to Jack at some point, I know how to tag a damn conk. It's one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. I put every shark appearance <laughs> under the campy um, category. It's like he's just there. He's just uh, the most unshark you've ever seen, and he's when if he's not bamfing into scenes, he's just going mind-numbingly slow. I, I mean, Michael Caine gives a shit about being on set. The shark does not. Whenever he's on camera, it's like either people didn't tell him they were rolling, 
or the shark was just like whatever i could you know i i'm doing like another shark movie like next week and this one sucks i don't care <laughs> screw you pay me I, this is bullshit like i i want to be out of this movie so bad i'm calling my agent right now that he feels like he just is a bad actor all right let's wrap this bad boy up uh with our final ratings Cool. So we have uh, four ratings here on Camp Kaiju. Our highest rating is it is a timeless classic. It definitely stands the test of time. Our second highest rating is there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and stands the test of time. Uh, lower than that, we have it may be historically significant or just fun, but it does not stand the test of time. And our worst rating here on Camp Kaiju, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. I I would actually say it may be historically significant or just fun, but it doesn't stand the test of time would be mine, mainly because that does, I think as a Jaws person, if you're a Jaws person, it needs to fit in that category. Um, I'm trying not to cop out, but if you're not a Jaws person, it would definitely be it's not worth revisiting or it's not worth watching at all. But I think it needs to fall somewhere on the you know, second to last there. I agree. I think as part of this franchise, I'm going to rewatch it again at some point in my life. Michael Caine is really fun in this movie. The effects are bad, but they're cheesy. I still have fun with them. So despite my best wishes, there are some fun moments, but it doesn't stand the test of time on its own. It's a pretty forgettable film, to be honest. Yeah, I would have the same rating, actually. I, I think it's it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And weirdly, I feel like maybe I would have enjoyed it more if it was worse than it actually is. But I do admire that it's trying to do its own thing. It's, you know, there are actual characters in this movie, whether or not they're fully fleshed out or convincing is another question. But uh, yeah, I kind of admire some of the things that it's trying to do, even if it's not able to pull them off. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, there you go. There you go, folks. Uh, for Jaws fans, Jaws the Revenge fans, um, I hope you enjoyed. Um, Sam, this was our pleasure and our honor to have you on Camp Kaiju. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, fellas. This was a lot of fun, even though we had to watch Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> well, next time we could just do we want to go work backwards and go Jaws 3D then? Jaws 2 and then Jaws? I would revisit Jaws 3D, to be honest. I, I have a fascination with the 80s um, when they tried to rejuvenate uh, yeah. the 3D model. Um, I'm all for that, man. Just bring me back. I'd love that. Awesome. We could even branch out into like Orca and the Beast if we can track it down. There's a whole world of aquatic monsters out there. So can't wait. And thank you all for hanging out. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, leave a rating and review, and visit CampKaijuMovieReviews.com, Instagram, or even Patreon for more monster movie content. Links in our bio. We can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded with your help in the Twin Cities with music by Terrence Jackson. Oh, and before I forget... Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with part of those proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com. Find the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. And again, as Camp Kaiju says, thank you, friends. And until next time, stay campy. 
same. Complain, complain. Oh, shit. <laughs> 